ready to study the scripture? Let's get to it. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We'll start there. As you know, we've started a, a series last week called Do This, Not That. And um, what, what I really have a heart for in this series is prioritizing our lives according to the scriptures. And I, I've kind of said it this way, in a, we need black and white answers in a gray world. It's like we, we, need, we need direct uh, you know, focus and, and understanding. Life is so busy, it's so full, we need to really work hard and make tough choices about what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. And so we're spending the next few weeks talking about these ideas. And last week we spoke on cultivating a hunger for God. And that kicked off our week of prayer and fasting. And I think routinely we should pray and fast. Fasting shouldn't be a unique thing that we do once a year. I think we should develop a lifestyle of it. We skip a meal at lunch. And instead of uh, going to the lunchroom, we go out to the car, we read the Bible, we pray, we seek God. I think there's an important prioritizing of our relationship with God so that we are always connected, always aware of what he's saying and doing. And the first thing that happens when you get busy often is you kind of throw out meeting with God and spending time specifically with him. And I, I think we have, to, we have to hit against that at the beginning of the year. And let's, let's not make it a New Year's resolution. Let's make a conviction of our relationship with him. And so, uh, so the next few weeks, next week we'll talk about money a little bit and, and how that prioritizes in our life. The week after that, we'll talk about community. We'll kick off connect groups. And uh, then the week after that, we'll talk about being healthy and fit. You'll all want to be there for that. And um, so anyway, um, as we look forward, I want you to really uh, make sure that you're with us on these next few Sundays. I think it'll be really helpful for you. Of course, we've got uh, key verses uh, that we're using. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. I'll just put it up there on the screen. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think the problem is we tend to classify our lives in a sacred realm and a secular realm. We have our church stuff and our church friends, and then we have our other friends in just normal life. I think this passage is Jesus teaching people, his disciples, how to integrate the two worlds and how to make sure that we are aware of God's kingdom in every single area of our lives. It's not just that I'm wanting you to spend all your time praying. That's not what I'm saying. What I want to teach us how to do as a body of believers is carry the presence of God everywhere we go. That every interaction that we have at work or at school or with neighbors, every interaction is an opportunity for God to do something amazing. That every fear and anxiety that we tend to carry around because we're under pressure financially or, or we're afraid of what's happening at our work, that God is the one who brings peace that transcends all understanding. The one who guards our hearts and our minds. That's what we're trying to figure out. And so today we're going to talk about how to fight for your family. If last week was about understanding that you have a personal relationship with God and it needs both maintenance and investment, the next thing that I want you to think about is how to fight for your family, how to prioritize your family, 
how to prioritize your marriage and your kids. And so let's pray and let's talk about this for a few moments. Father, as we open up your word, would you give us revelation, illumination, and understanding? Would you challenge us, challenge the perspective that we have now and help us to change, transform us from the inside out, and give us grace, we pray, to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Are you there? If you're there, say yes. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Okay, just pause for a second. Whatever your translation says, circle that word about with your whole heart. Take your pen and circle it. If your Bible's too good to mark in, then enshrine it in glass and get a new one. Make some notes in your Bible. Underline it, what, what, what God is saying to his people. This is called the Shema, and it is a, a very important passage to the Jewish people as God called them out of Egypt, and as he was making them into a nation, he said, here's what I want you to think about. Love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength in every area of your life. Every area of your heart, I want it to be given to me. And so he says, I want you to commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road and when you were going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The first big idea I want you to get today is the family is primary. The family is primary to God's plan and His purpose. The family is primary to the character that He wants to build in each of our lives. The family is the primary entity it is the institution that God wants to use to begin to expand his kingdom. The best chance of, you, of each one of us raising up disciples or making disciples, developing the kingdom of God, is found in our kids, in our marriage. Why? Because these are the people that know us best. These are the people that we live with. There's constant modeling. There's constant connection. There is access. This is God's plan. His plan was to make sure that this family entity was following after him and the influence of parents to their children. And the way that, the way that parents grow as they're raising kids is a big deal. I know that sometimes we like to think that, you know, it's our job as parents to make the kids into adults. But the truth is, when you have the kids, the children make the parents into adults. <laughs> they build their, they, it's character building to care for someone other than yourself. And, uh, and, and the family dynamics in our current culture uh, have a lot of challenges. But what God designed our family for is for training, for correcting, for passing on values, for establishing character, for modeling and illustrating God's nature. All right? That's what's supposed to happen, modeling and illustrating God's nature. I'm not, I'm not talking about the concept you may have heard in our culture called family first, 
Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about putting your family in front of everything. Okay, that, that would be idolatry. What we have to do is understand how God wants to create the family as the initial entity to all that he's doing. He doesn't want people to be alone. He doesn't want people to be isolated. If you look at Psalm 68, 4 through 6, it, it's amazing. It says, sing to God and extol him. And, and then as, as, you, as you get to the reason why the psalmist gives it, he says, a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And then the next verse says, God sets the lonely in families. This is the nature and the work of God. God wants to connect people. I want you to notice in this passage right here, that most of the things that God is telling his people to do have to do with what's going on around the home. Look at it. He says, I want you to talk about it with your kids. I want you to talk about them when you're at home and just hanging out at home. Even when you're on the road and walking together with people. When you're going to bed at night, talk about these things. And when you're getting up, Make sure that you're, you're identifying these ideas and these commands and make sure they're central to your family. Tie them on your hands so you remember them. Wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your home as you're going through your doorposts. And, and, and it, it, it's got scripture over it and, and instruction. This is God's first classroom. That's what the family is. The family is God's first classroom. And God has a a definition and a purpose that he wants to give to families. Now, let me pause here and say that um, I want to address people who are divorced in the room and single people. Now, it's really important that you don't check out on me here because you need to know these principles as well as any others. I don't want anyone in this room, let me just talk to divorced people, I don't want you to look backwards as we look at this scripture. I think every time you hear the scripture, you, you've got to, if, if there is a moment of repentance for your past, great, do it, repent. But the last thing I want to do is create condemnation for what's happened in your history. That's the last thing God wants to do, by the way. He wants you to draw a line right here, and he wants you to move from now forward with the knowledge and the grace and the understanding and the ability to embrace what he's saying to you today, all right? Please don't, please don't let these principles, I cannot teach these principles uh, if, uh, in a way that is strong and forceful if I'm always worried about what everybody's thinking about all the failures in their life. Look, don't take it that way. Don't undo the principle for the exceptions. And, and these days, what's happening in our culture is the principles, we're losing them. And the exceptions are becoming the rule. We live in a divorce culture, and so this, this is not good for us. It's not helpful for our kids. It's not healthy for us personally. Every, every marriage that falls apart has massive repercussions in the children, in your finances. It, it, it essentially ruins you. You have to start over. Now, here's the good news. God's grace... God's blessing, God's mercy, his heart, his love for you and me. He knows our brokenness, and he wants to be involved in it. 
But it doesn't change the fact that the family is the first training ground. And all of you who are single today, you're going to have a family hopefully at some point unless God's called you to singleness. And I'm happy if he's called you to that. But I don't meet very many people who say, yep, God's called me to singleness and celibacy. No, they're all just kind of waiting and I'm afraid to get married or I'm not sure who to... Oh, I'm not sure who I can link up with because, man, it just, my parents were divorced and it's just, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of, you know, just making the commitment. I'm not sure how it's going to work. Listen, God wants you to learn his purpose for your life. And one of the primary ways he does that, not the only way, but one of the primary ways is he puts you with another person. He puts you in a family. He puts you in an environment where he's teaching you things with other people. Listen, the family... Listen, so some of these principles, if you're a single person, you can, you can attach them to your small group, to the people that you live life with, to the people that you're roommates with. You can apply these principles to that situation. And so please do that as we're talking about it. So the family is where we learn how to fight in the right way. We, we, we fight without leaving. One of the problems with a divorce culture is people don't know how to fight. And if we fight, we're afraid somebody might leave. It's, it's the place where you first learn how to love and share together. It's the place you deal with disappointment for the first time. You forgive a violation. You learn how to do that. You, you learn how to serve with a good attitude. I am training my kids how to serve with a good attitude. And man, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's so fun, though, when they get it. It's so fun when I say to one of my kids, hey, would you run out, just take out the trash, make sure that that, that happens. Sure, Dad. It's getting into him. I see it happening in my kids, and it's wonderful. It's where the families where we understand justice and mercy, where we respond to punishment and discipline. Here's the thing: if you don't learn how to deal with punishment and discipline within the family, then you raise kids who have trouble obeying the rules at school, on the streets. They don't know how to respond to authority. They don't know how to deal with uh, the policeman pulling them over. They don't know how to obey the speed limit. There's a process here. And if you don't understand these things as in the family, then things fall apart in our society, in our communities. You learn communication and kindness. You learn how to talk to each other. Man, I'm so frustrated right now. We're wrestling with the media thing just like all of you. We're wrestling with screen time. Do you know what screen time is? Yeah, we, we, we need to spend more time talking to each other. We turned off the TV this week, and we talked more. It was an amazing thing with our kids, and we had a great week. Um, we have to challenge ourselves to communicate better and more often. <laughs> Families, here's the, here's the last one I want you to think about. Families are where you learn how to live with people you don't like. It's true. You learn how to live with people you don't like. And, and from time to time, your kids, sometimes they don't like you. Sometimes you don't like them. Sometimes you don't like your spouse. But it's in a family where you learn what covenant means and what commitment and conviction means. It, it means it, you, you learn what it means that you're a family no matter how you slice it. Nobody can get out. You will always belong to each other. <laughs> And you learn how to live with other people. So I want you to do these three things to keep the family primary. Here's three ideas. They're, it's not exhaustive. It's just three ideas. And I want you to think about doing it. Number one, I want you to have dinner together consistently. 
I know you're super busy. I know that there's so much going on. I know that the schedule is really hard. I know that you feel sometimes like you don't have a choice. You do have a choice. Have dinner together. Dinner is one of the best places to share values in a family. And when dinner goes away, we stop, we stop cleaning up afterwards. We stop, we stop interacting. Having dinner together is one of the most important things we do. Here's what we do. We tell stories at dinner time. So we'll get, put our plates down and we'll, we'll pray and then we'll eat. And everybody's going to tell one story from their day. And uh, the older kids always say something like, oh, nothing happened. And the little kids always want to tell 12 stories. It's just part of the deal. But the way you pray over dinner, the way you create a routine, the way you create a habit, the way you share together and tell stories, the way you clean up. By the way, yard work is good for this too. Work in the yard all day together. Don't send them out. Go out with them. Everybody working together. One of the second thing I want you to think about doing is praying with your family. I don't know what it is, but married couples praying with each other and parents praying with their kids other than now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Go beyond that. It's awkward for many, many families. I don't know what this is. They don't know how to do it. They're afraid to do it. It feels weird. Listen, let me tell you the reason. Because it's one of the most intimate things you can do together. Because prayer tells you what's on the inside of a person. And let me tell you, your kids need to know what's on the inside of your heart. They need to hear it. They need to hear you pray about it. They need to hear you articulate what you're struggling with. They, there needs to be a certain level of vulnerability. There needs to be this dynamic with your marriage where you're, where you're, where you're willing to pray for one another in a way that is... See, I'm not talking about prayer meetings that last an hour and a half. <laughs> that would be hard for us <laughs> and our family. But before you go to bed at night, reach over and grab the hand of your spouse and pray. And just pray for him. One of the things that I think is so important, I want to add this to, you, to your list here. When you're in a family, I think every family needs a mission statement or a mission, a vision statement. You need to write down what the purpose of your family is. And if you've never thought about it, every family's got a purpose and you need to impress into, onto your children what the purpose is for living together. I can tell you what ours is. Ours is we love the church, we help people, and we make music. <laughs> That's just, this just become, has become part of our family mission. You know, we, we love God's people and we're gonna, and we're gonna help them. We're gonna serve them. We're gonna help people in general. We're gonna be helpful. My, my older boys, uh, one of them was home from college and, and the other's still in high school and they went this last week and helped a single mom move again. <laughs> they, they have helped so many people move and it is so good for them and they don't wanna do it. It's not fun for them, but something's being instilled in them an ethic of being helpful to others. Number three, get good at conflict resolution. <laughs> get good at conflict resolution. There's no avoiding it. You're going to have conflict. Listen, conflict is not bad. Say it out loud. Conflict is not bad. Say it one more time. Conflict is not bad. The majority of people uh, don't like conflict. All right, because so they so they avoid things. But you need to embrace the conflict and get good at the resolution of it. You got to teach it. You got to learn it. You got to model it. You and here's three ideas. All right, that you can do this better. All right, fight fair. 
That means no personal attacks. When you fight, you don't fight and, and, and destroy them with personal attacks on their personality or making fun of them or being sarcastic. Those are per, that's unfair fighting. Deal with the issue, don't make fun of the person. When, and if you, if you learn how to fight fair, your marriage gets, gets along better. Your kids, they don't learn sarcasm from you. They'll learn it at school, but don't, they, don't, they don't need to learn it from you. All right? Uh, second one is own your own feelings. Okay? Nobody can make you feel any way. You choose to feel the way you want to feel. People can do things to you, no doubt about it. I mean, words can hurt, but then you get to decide what you do with those feelings. I mean, this happens from the very beginning. I mean, little kids. She made me mad, so I punched her. <laughs> right? You can't hit your sister. I don't care how mad you get. This, this is not appropriate behavior. Very early on, I have to teach them, okay, these are my feelings. I'm mad, but I'm not going to hit you. I can own my feelings, but you didn't make me. You didn't do something to me that forced me into that action. And then finally, um, don't, don't go to bed angry. I don't care how big the fight's been before you go to bed. Listen, we're, you, can even, you can sit down with your kids or you can sit down with your spouse or you can say, listen, um, I know we had a big fight today and I want you to know I'm committed to you. I, I still disagree with what you said and I, I still think we, we're gonna have stuff to work out but I want you to know I love you and I'm committed to you no matter what. When you do that before you go to bed, something happens overnight something changes in your own heart if you go to bed angry and mad it affects your sleep it affects your body it affects your mind you wake up in the morning with unresolved issues and then you are less motivated to deal with them that's why that's why the scripture teaches us to not let the sun go down while we're angry all right so this is so important for us to identify this. Those are three things you can do in your family. Number two, big idea number two, ready? The marriage is the center. The marriage is the center. The children are not the center. You are not the center. The, the marriage is central to everything that happens in the family. And um, when the, here's the thing, when the kids are grown, right? It's just the two of you left. <laughs> It was the two of you when it started. They're going to disrupt stuff for a long time. <laughs> and then when they leave, but here's the thing, they will leave. They will leave, and then it'll just be you two. And if there's nothing left, you're in trouble. The marriage is the center. Let me read to you. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, familiar passage to some, but I want to read it because it describes so many great concepts. Um, the marriage stats in the church are just as bad or worse than what's going on out in the world. Most of the time, that's because people out in the world aren't even committing to marriage anymore. Uh, they don't see a, a need for it, um, except as a tax advantage, and there's a lot of fights going on about that. Um, but here's the thing. One of the things that I'm so committed to is we're raising up a bunch of marriage mentors in our church because marriage needs to be saved. People need, who are broken in their marriage, 
They need to learn how to connect and how to solve their problems. And, and so we're creating marriage mentors that can lead people through and, and help them to recover what God's design and plan is. Look here, and here it is. Ephesians 5.22, it says, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Pause for a moment. It's a lot easier to submit and to be reverent to one another and to be courteous if Christ is the reason. It, what, what Paul is doing is he's going past, he's saying, don't be nice to them because they're nice. Don't be nice to them because they're perfect. Don't submit because it's perfection. Submit out of reverence for Christ. Be, be courteous and reverent and submissive to one another out of love for Christ. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. I'm reading out of the Message Bible, which is a modern-day paraphrase. It talks about wives submitting to their uh, husbands, and then the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. Pause. How did Christ do that? He laid everything down. He gave it all away. He held nothing back. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. I want you to underline that little idea there in, the, in your passage, in your Bible. Underline that verse. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And no one abuses his own body. No, he feeds it and pampers it, and that's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body, meaning he cares for us so deeply. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all, but what is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture. Everybody say picture. A picture of how each husband is to treat his wife. Loving himself and loving her and how each wife is to honor her husband. It's really very simple, men. You just need to be like Jesus. There is a picture here, and we have to see the picture. Christ laid down his life for us. We, we respond to him by laying our lives down to him. This is what marriage should be. Marriage is the illustration. It's no surprise to me that the attack on marriage in every culture, listen, it's not just our culture, it's every culture. I was just down in Mexico, and there is a huge scheme, uh, I think, of, of the way things are set up to undo marriage as an important element of society. I want you to think about this. Marriage is bringing out the best in another person. Marriage is about the potential that resides inside of each one of us and being willing to bring out that potential inside of us. It requires diligence and it requires strategy. And so this is an, such a, an essential thing to marriage. So to make the marriage the center, here's what I want you to do. To make the marriage the center, do this. Make your schedules work together. Make your schedules work together. I hear from people, when I see people in my office, they come to, to 
uh, counseling or they come to try to fix some problems and I start to probe and ask some questions and always what happens is somehow they've stopped spending time together. They're so busy, they're so going in several directions that they stop coordinating. There's no date night, there's no walking and talking at the end of the day, uh, walking in the neighborhood or, or exercising, or uh, their, their busyness has taken over and they're not scheduling each other, they're not prioritizing each other. Number two, get away from a romantic, get away for a romantic weekend. <laughs> Get away for a romantic weekend or attend a marriage seminar every year. Well, Pastor Ross, my marriage is good. I don't need to attend a marriage seminar. Yeah, and if you attend the marriage seminar, you'll make sure that it stays good for the next year. See, the, the marriage has to have some investment that takes time from something else. There has to be, and some of you who are young parents, you young parents, most of the young parents are not here, they'll be in the second service because it's too early for them to get their kids here. But listen, the problem is you're making the kids the center and not the marriage. You're afraid of causing your kids damage like you got from your parents. And you're afraid of, you want more investment in them, and so you've got to make everything about them, and they've got to be in 12 different things, and piano lessons, and Little League, and all this stuff, and it's killing you. You're, you're missing something. They need to see that the marriage is the center. One of the primary things that gets kids raised well is a great marriage. Number three, share one bank account. Are you kidding me? Listen, I'm not a fan of the, of the dual bank accounts and we never, we never share, we never overlap. Listen, you may have to have multiple bank accounts, but I think somewhere there should be something because here's, here's why I think this is maybe important. And this is not, this is not a, the Bible says this. This is one of my things that says, hey, this is one of the ways you make sure that you're together on something that has the potential to undo your marriage. And because where the, wherever the finances are held, that's where the power is. I think, your, I think your house should be in, in both your names. I think, that, I think you should share and I, I, there should be, well, Pastor Ross, you know how long that takes? That takes so much time and energy and I don't know. Listen, if that's the primary person, if this is the center of everything that God's gonna do in you perpetuating his plan, both in your lives and in your kids' lives, you gotta take time and energy to invest in it. I'm a fan of, of you both knowing and both having access to what's going on. Now, if one person is better at keeping the books, great, make that person do it. <laughs> Don't let the person who's bad at keeping the books do it. That's bad. My wife and I have done this back and forth. She's kept them sometimes. I keep them sometimes. I won't tell you who's better. <laughs> got, to get to the, got to get to the third point. And before I do, let me just say this phrase. Only strong men can turn boys into confident young men. And only mature women can turn little girls into powerful young women. Now listen. This is a moment where I want you to, I want you to understand God's design. And that is men need to make an investment in young men. And women, older women, need to make an investment in young women. Where else... Are we going to deal with our broken, divorce-ridden society other than the church? The church needs to be the place where even single moms can rely on some of you men to come and help invest in their kids.
I was talking to a single mom this week, and she was struggling with her 17-year-old boy. And she's wrestling through it and just trying to figure it out. And she came to me, and she, and she said, is this normal? Right? She was like, we had a little meeting, and she said, is this normal? And he was getting angry and frustrated and mad and expressing that anger. And I said, totally normal. She was like, all I've ever had is girls in my family, and so I, 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 don't, know how this, I don't know how this is supposed to work. And, and, and her, his dad's not engaged, and so I just, I don't know what to do. And so I said, okay, it's normal, it's fine, here's what you should do, here's how you should handle it. This, this is what the church should be, is a family. For any families that are broken, we've got to have that. That's God's design, men and women. I like to say that women make sure that kids reach their 13th birthday. Because <laughs> men are kind of like, uh, oh, they'll be fine. Let them play. It doesn't matter. Let them go outside. Let them play with the knives. It'll be fine. Men are just kind of more like that. It, 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 it takes some men to make boys a little rough and tough. But it takes the woman to make sure that they are living. <laughs> Final thing, th number three, the kids create the legacy. The kids create the legacy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, I'll just read it to you and you can listen closely. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Obedience is the, is the main thing that children are to learn from their parents. And if children don't learn obedience to their parents, it's very hard for them to learn obedience to the Lord. And there are stages when you have little kids, they're totally dependent on you. Now listen, they're totally dependent on you. And as they're dependent on you, you want to protect them and you want to make all the decisions. But as they become teenagers, they begin to express independence. And there is no way around that. This is a necessary stage to becoming a full-fledged adult. So they begin to express independence. They stretch the rules. They stretch the boundaries. They challenge you. They see how far you're going to go. What, are you going to be firm? Are you going to be loose? And, and the truth is sometimes you need to be firm and sometimes you need to be loose. You can't, you can't always pound on the rules and keep pounding them into your kids. Sometimes you, it needs to be relationally driven. You need to make a stand sometimes, and other times you just need to let it go. But there's independence, and they're stretching, and they, you need to let them. Some parents think their kids are being ultra-rebellious when all that's happening is they're expressing their own independence. They're trying to figure out how to do that. They're trying to figure out how to become men and women. Because ultimately what happens around 22 or 23 is they come back around to something called interdependence. Because what you want to teach them is they, are, they cannot do everything they want to alone. They can't just do it by themselves, that they need people. They need others speaking into their lives. And about 23 years old, after college or somewhere in that college realm, it dawns on them, oh, my parents were pretty smart. Yeah. And they, and they begin to embrace an interdependent dynamic. So often things go wrong when parents don't realize that there's a process and a journey here. Let them take the journey. Let them go and be engaged in their lives. To create a legacy, do this. Legacy means 
Legacy means that God is doing something beyond your own ability. The history, the reputation of your life speaks through your children. Number one, spend quality time with your kids because you don't know when the quality time will show up. More time, not less time. Number two, discipline for disobedience and not mistakes. Discipline for disobedience, not for mistakes. Now, you, you think that makes sense on the face of it, but I know as a parent, I am not a perfect parent. The pastor is not a perfect parent. There are no perfect parents. So there's a wrestling match to figure out, okay, when is discipline necessary? But one of the problems with discipline is that we get mad at them for making boneheaded mistakes. The problem is, they're learning how to be adults. They're in process. Don't demand so much of them. Don't get angry at them. Remember, remember that you're the parent. You're the one who's supposed to be mature. You're the one who's expected to be mature. Don't expect them to be mature. How do you discipline? Okay, here, let me give you some clues. Start early. They're smarter than you think at 18 months. Consistency, that means they need to see that you're consistent. You're not all over the map. You're, you, you're, the rules are consistent. There's consistency in the way you apply them. All of that, they can, they can see it. You're not all over the map. That has to do with predictability and how you're going to respond to them. But then I think the next thing is steadiness. And it's different than consistency because steadiness is about emotions. If they're afraid that you're going to like go nuts on them, emotionally and you're going to get mad and scream and yell, you're going, to have to, you're going to have problems. There needs to be an emotional steadiness to parenting. And listen, I don't think it's bad for your kids to see you that you're mad. In fact, it can actually be helpful because if they see you, you're mad and they watch you handle the anger in a way that is helpful, or maybe you do fly off the handle, but later you go and say, I was wrong for getting so angry. I'm so sorry. Do you know what kind of investment that is in a child, in a teenager? And finally, follow through. I was talking to Kim Swafford this week, and she said she used to have a, 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 a little spoon that would hang on the wall, and it had a name on it, and it was called Mr. Do Good. I was like, Mr. Do Good, that's really funny. But there needs to be some kind of follow-through and con continue. Don't go home and start cracking down on your kids after this service. You got it? Just ease into it. Number three, finally, make memories. Make memories. They define culture in your home. They define what your home is about and start creating a soundtrack to all the memory, to all the, the important values you're teaching them. They, become, they begin to be the illustration for the story of your life. Hey, no one lays on their deathbed and says, I should have spent more time at the office. They all say, I should have spent more time with my kids. I should have spent more time with my family. I should have invested more in my marriage. Final scripture, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 says, In the future, your children will ask you, What is the meaning of these laws and decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey. Then you must tell them. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes. 
dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us his land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. Families are God's building blocks for what he's trying to do in the earth, for his church, for his purposes, and for blessing the whole world. Do you notice in this scripture, that's what God is saying. When your kids ask you, what's all this about? Why are we doing all this? Oh, because God has a purpose. Because God is interested in influencing the earth with his love and his mercy and his grace. All these things have to do with the story of God and what we're called to do as a family. That's what we're doing here. We're raising them up to see the bigger story of what God is doing. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads and let's just pray for a moment. Father, would you teach us? Help us to do these things. Help us to do these things that will make an investment in our marriage, in our kids, in our environment as a family, in our home. Lord, help us, the singles in the room, the people that aren't married yet, to make a commitment to these kind of principles, to this ideology, to realize that there is something so amazing that you're trying to do in us and with us. I pray that you'd help a generation of people that aren't sure about committing in marriage, that you'd help them to see the great purpose and value of it. I pray for single moms and single dads in the room who feel as though they've failed at this thing. But thank you that you're the God of a second chance and you're the God that wants to give them strength and grace in this moment and let them see their mistakes of the past but let them conquer them and move forward. Father, thank you. Thank you for that. Lord, parents in the room who feel as though they're, they're disconnected from their kids and they've let media take over and their, 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 their life or their career is starting to dominate, Father, would you give them courage to change by your spirit, by your influence. Help them, Lord. I thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. Now, just with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, Nobody kind of looking around. As we're here and we've worshiped together and we've shared the scriptures, I sense that people in the room, you just feel like you want to make a commitment to Christ. It's like, I want to make a commitment to this kind of family, this kind of, these kinds of ideas, and I know I can't do it on my own, and I, I've, I've really been away from God, and I need to come back, and I need to make a, a strong stand for my personal life and my family today. I want you to respond here in a moment by lifting your hand. I'm not gonna call you forward, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I want you to just lift your hand and say, Pastor, please pray for me. The second group of people is I, people who feel like you've failed in your families. You're discouraged, you're so disheartened because we're talking about these things and you're realizing, oh, I've just, I have I've become consumed in myself or I've become distracted and I need God's help. I need to surrender first and then I need God's help to implement some new things in my family and I need to ask God to remake 
my family. If either one of those two things, you personally committing to Christ or you need God to come and help you to enact these things in your family, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air as I pray. Shoot your hand up in the air right now. Yep, all over the room. Anybody else? Anybody else? So good. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is the place where you can be honest and vulnerable. Anybody else? Just going to hesitate for a second. Yeah. Come on, let's pray. Repeat after me in this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father. Everybody together. Come on, all over the room. Say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus who shows me the way to lay down his life for me. Now I lay down my life for you. Come and change me. Forgive me. Heal me. Cleanse me. Give me a new start today. I make a stand today to follow you. Take my heart. I give myself to you. And Lord, I pray for my family. Please help me with a new start in my family. Help us love each other. Heal us from the wounds of the past. Change our hearts. Put our marriage back together. Bring the prodigal son home. Bring the daughter home. Father, would you help me as I commit to these principles? I need your help. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for every person who's praying this and who's asking you to do something beyond their own capacity or ability. Would you rescue them? Would you heal them? Would you strengthen them for the journey to fight for their family? We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.